Welcome to the Movie Geeks United original series, August 69, an exploration of the history you haven't heard from the most infamous crimes of the past 50 years. 10050 Cielo Drive is a notorious address in the annals of American crime, but 50 years ago, 26-year-old actress Sharon Tate had dubbed it her love house. She and her husband, director Roman Polanski, rented the French Normandy-style house starting in February 1969, shortly after music producer Terry Melcher and his girlfriend, actress Candace Bergen, moved out. High atop Benedict Canyon, the stunning property promised a sanctuary for the newly pregnant Sharon. It was also the site of many Hollywood parties, attended by everyone from marquee actors and filmmakers, random hippies, and family friends like the guest we're speaking with during this episode. Today, Dr. Don Noyce Moore is a chaplain at a Catholic monastery. But back in 1969, he was a wide-eyed young man barely out of teenagehood. As the youngest brother of Polanski's friend and agent, Bill Tennant, Dr. Moore was privy to these parties at Cielo, and over time, he developed an ongoing and friendly relationship with Sharon. In the morning hours of August 9th, Dr. Moore received a harrowing call from his brother, the brother who, just 15 minutes earlier, had walked through the Cielo Drive property and had positively identified the mutilated bodies of his friends, Sharon Tate, Jay Sebring, Wojtek Frykowski, and Abigail Folger. First of all, I'd like to know about uh, the relationship between you and your brother. It seems like you guys were on different tracks in life, perhaps. I just wanted to know about your, you and your brother's upbringing and your life journey up to that point. My, my mother was a party woman, and um, during the war, uh, my brother's my half-brother, and her husband died. He was from Texas. Then my mother met my father at a party of my grandmother's, and my grandmother and my grandfather had been in the business for a very, very long time, about 70 years altogether. And my brother and I grew up together. There's a sister, Rena, and she's still alive, but doesn't like to talk about the past at all. Yeah. And my brother and I grew up with the mother who was a party person, unfortunately. She was an alcoholic. Um, and Billy and I really clung together, you could say. Now, there was a big difference between our ages, 12 years. Mm. And I noticed as a child, he seemed to come and go. I never knew really why at the time, but he would be there sometimes and sometimes not. He um, would go to live with an aunt and uncle, and they were horse racing people. And 
his name was Zufelt, and it was all about Hollywood Park and very fast people. But then Billy would come back. Billy's what I would call in my life anyway, and in our relationship, a cookie person. He was always there when I needed him. He wasn't always there, and I thrived mm. because of him. Um, and our lives really, in how at the later part of our lives, very different. He was out of the house by the time I was, oh, I don't know, 11, 12. My brother was bisexual, and... Um, at the time, I didn't know it, but I came to find out that he was bisexual. And he met a man, Bill Blasco. You may or may not know that name. But if you don't, you should look it up And in regards to Hollywood. He was with GMC, a big, big uh, agent. And he took my brother on and uh, helped him become an actor, later an agent, and then you know the rest of his story. He did some directing. He could have lived the rest of his life for uh, the Cleopatra Jones movie. (laughs) The black exploitation movies lasted forever in regards to income. My mother committed suicide in 1963, and it was the culmination of uh, everything that both my sister, my brother, and I witnessed. My sister was sent away to live with my grandmother very early on. So I was a very disturbed, unusual second family. But Mm -hmm. Bill and I, remained very, very close, and he helped me out often. When Bill entered the, the entertainment business, he obviously exposed you to some of the people that he was hanging out with and the, the Hollywood life and parties, didn't he? I knew them all. Gypsy, uh, another of, of hanger-on in Hollywood. Uh, for that matter, later on, Sharon Tate, but uh, the birds, the group, the birds, he hung with them. Uh, I knew them all. I used to go up into Laurel Canyon. I was the only person, this is really funny, I was the only person not doing drugs. I would sit there and watch and think to myself, someday I'm going to write about this. And (laughs) I have, I have to a certain degree. But yeah. I've never, I've been asked many, many times over the years, especially since, oh, about 10 years after the Manson murders and Dear Sharon, and to interview. But my brother was alive. And I told my brother I wouldn't do any interviews while uh, he was alive. Do you remember when he. Uh when he introduced you to uh, to Sharon and, and, and Roman, what that occasion was? Yeah, there was a supposed barbecue. There was no much barbecue to it. It was uh, Sharon and uh, Roman were having 
you know, a get together like they used to a lot. And uh, I'd gone up to my brother's on Lime Orchard Drive in Beverly Hills, and just to visit, there's the new baby, and he had just uh, finished playing tennis with Roman. And that's when I met Roman. Mm. And it's, by the way, Roman's a person I particularly hate. He was fond of young people. And it, it didn't make any difference what the sex is. And I know that may or may not to some degree have come out in the, uh, I don't know, people doing his bio or not. I don't read any of that. Um, but he also was bisexual. I don't know of any contact between him and my brother, and I doubt it very much. But who knows, <laughs> really, especially in the 60s, who knows? It was all, uh, right. in Spanish, a guacamole de people. Um and I went down, I remember they were going down because of the little party that was going on, and I went down there and I met Sharon. And the first thing I remember about Sharon, and in, in my eyes, by the way, she wasn't a star. I mean, she had done uh, s some of those little movies, kind of awful movies. I, mean, I don't think she ever did a good movie. But um, I knew who she was. I knew what she did. I was wasn't really impressed because I've I met mega stars there. I was impressed, but she was just like normal people. And but the first mm -hmm. thing I remember is grabbing her hand, and I remember thinking, "Gosh, her hand feels so frail." That. Why that has stuck with me all these years, mm. but um, and she had a very sheepish smile. She looked instead of looking in my eyes, she looked down. And even back then, it was sort of unusual to be shaking. It was just natural for me to reach out to her, though, because she seemed fragile. Mm. Oddly fragile. That day, I remember nothing much. People came over that. Sebring was over there, I remember. Um, but lots of people, people coming and going. That was really the tenor of the times. Um, the early 70s, the late 60s. You could go up in the... Coldwater Canyon or Laurel Canyon, and if you were connected, there were the parties and the people. They were always there. Did you get the sense from Sharon that she was out of place in that crowd? Yes. She seemed very out of place. I Now, stories and information regards to Sharon, I do read from time to time, because I just really ended up loving her so much because of her vulnerability, but she never seemed comfortable. She never seemed in place. And I think it was Roman was 
calling the shots, though I never heard him say for her to do anything, or I never heard a crossword between them. But she was docile in certain ways mm. and vulnerable, and I think Roman played on that. And so how many of these times when you were around them uh, were you in the Cielo Drive house? Maybe seven times. Oh, wow. About seven times. It's all in in the same area. If you look on the map, it's only hop, skip, and a jump, though nobody would do that in Beverly Hills. To, to Cielo from uh, Lime Orchard. I, yeah, I, I recall that Sebring's house was not too far away either. Right. Right down the hill, I think, yeah. Neighbors, really. Mm-hmm. But, and there were real crazies at some of the parties, and they would bring, you know, people would bring people. Oh, he's cool. The, there were always parties and get-togethers and sort of like dinners and uh, going down on sunset, uh, going to the whiskey. I was too young for any of that. Um, But I I heard it all. I was the watcher. And the subtitle of my book is Keeper of the Story. I think that's more precise. I kept, I didn't, I've been asked over and over and over again, why didn't you do drugs? I mean, that was what everyone's doing. It was because I I guess I was a voyeur of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, and maybe even, and I'm a clinical psychologist as well, by the way, uh, in fear of what would happen if I did take drugs, because, of course, I have that memory then of uh, my mother. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and you talked about the the open parties and the fact that um, it, they weren't exclusive to the Hollywood Entertainment Group. A lot of times they'd be open, and and any any long haired dreg off the street might pop in. Oh, I saw them. That's what I was talking about. They're really sort of burnt out, psycho. Um, I guess in a way it was the times, it was, oh, he's cool, it's okay, he's a little weird, but he's okay, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the real shift, the real shift in social life happened after the mass murders. And it was very distinct, and nobody was allowing anybody to any parties after that. People became extraordinarily paranoid. People yeah. in Beverly Hills, in fact, were buying old cars so they didn't have to drive in public with new cars. Um, my sister Sandra lost most of her hair. My brother and Sandy divorced. Believe it or not, the day after the murders, my brother and sister-in-law got 
phone calls, and I doubt very much it was from Manson, but saying you're next, that sort of thing. Mm. So the emotional impact on my family and the impact in Beverly Hills and, if you will, the West Side, um, as it was defined then, the party scenes changed. Just, in fact, even very much so like the politics of the day. Things changed very dramatically. And it wasn't Altamont that changed it. It was Manson. It it was palpable. It was, you could taste it. People looked at you funny. People, People that would call and say, why don't you come over to dinner or we're going to head to the... It it stopped. And my brother was profoundly emotionally damaged because, as you know, he identified the body. And he called me after that, not too long after that. And he was profoundly hysterical, sobbing on the phone. They butchered her. They butchered her. He said something that was interesting that has always stayed with me but is non-factual. He said, and it was distinct, and I responded to it, that the baby had been cut out of her. I mean, it doesn't appear to be so... um from all the medical examiner reports and the um and the uh photos at the scene and that sort of thing uh but um i mean i i would imagine it, it the scene looks so horrible that y- y- your your mind could go to that place and that trauma and remember B- bill had a young baby also sandra had just sandy was supposed to be there that night. But the baby, the real story is, the baby got chicken pox. And mm. she thought the baby was sick and didn't want to go down and didn't want to leave her with anyone, so Sandy stayed there and um, didn't go down the hill. Lucky her. Do you have a memory of the last time you saw uh, Sharon? Was she was she pregnant when you last saw her? Or? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. And she said, I, I, "If I cry over this, oh gee." She sat there, and we were sitting on a uh, wicker love seat, and I had seen her pregnant already, so it wasn't a surprise. And she said, "Oh, I'm really looking forward." to this and being normal. She said, and I'm paraphrasing her, but she said, all I want is to be normal. And I was thinking to Mm -hmm. myself, gee, how much normal does it get? You've got money, you're an actress, but that's the last I remember. Mm. Do you have memories of, uh, of of Sebring and Wojtek and Abigail? I've seen all of them, and I was not contemporary to any of them. 
So I was just like so much. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I was a kid. I wasn't hip, slick, and cool. I was the kid sitting there and watching. And it probably unnerved some people. Uh, in in your story that I read, your article that I read, um, mm-hmm. you wrote a you wrote about an uh, an argument where someone was kicked out of the house, and which was interest during one of these parties, which was interesting to me because there's an anecdote that the police were trying to follow up on, where they thought there was a, a drug connection, an argument that ensued in the house, and they were kicked out. And uh, I think that was a lead that they were following up on to see if it was possible revenge for being kicked out of the party, but is that the same incident, do you think? Well, that's interesting. I don't know, but I would venture to guess there's good reason to believe that. It was a disruptor. It was a, I guess today you would call him a street person, but a lot of people that were uh, hippie-ish, if you will, you know, long hair, and not necessarily always kept, but cool, could see, whatever the scene was. But um, I don't know why the disturbance or exactly what the disturbance was about it, except that it was made, made to seem he was causing a problem with somebody, and he got uh, kicked out, and he was yelling all the way out. So I don't know. But it was very distinct, mm-hmm. and I thought it, it, it's odd when I look back now, but I thought at the time I wouldn't want some of these people mad at me. Yeah. If you want to know the absolute truth about the drugs, it was flowing freely. There was uh, cocaine, of course, but mainly um, marijuana, acid, some speed, but not much. I I never knew anybody or any situation where people were taking heroin. I don't think it hit that industry yet. Um, but there was a lot of cocaine use, and it just got worse in the 70s, of course. And uh, but there are people doing lines on tables and never saw Sharon do any drugs. I saw Roman do drugs. I saw him share a joint with my brother, but I don't consider that really a drug as such, especially not these days. Um, So I don't know about his drug use, but I know there was a lot that was available and it was always offered to me. Did you did you first hear about the the murders uh, from TV or from from your brother? I woke up in the morning. I remember the day absolutely clearly, and I turned on. And I don't usually I didn't usually do this, but I for some reason I turned on the TV while I was making breakfast, and I saw my brother going through the gate, and I said, that looks like Sharon's house. And then the narrative came, and I found out. My brother called me maybe 
half an hour after that. And he was, like I said, he was just completely hysterical. He had never seen anything like that. Of course, I can't imagine anyone seeing anything like that. But, um, and I saw him and Sandy about two weeks after, and they were still just shells of people. Um, low affect, uh, would look away. Even Sandy's involvement with the baby, Courtney, um, seemed oddly distant. One of the most infamous writings about it, uh, and I'm sure you've probably heard it over the years, was from uh, Joan Didion, who said that uh, she felt that the 60s essentially ended that day, but then in the same sentence she also said that very, very few of that circle were surprised. Very insightful. No, I hadn't uh, read that. I totally agree. Mm. I, I, and it reminds me of 1979 being in a gay bar called the Cabaret in San Francisco, a big dance place. Here's the West Coast San Francisco equivalent of uh, 54. And I was bringing a friend from Los Angeles out so he could go to a gay club. He was gay. And it was night before New Year's and went up and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, at the people, there were maybe a third of the people that were there, a lot of people were very shallow-cheeked. Not, it, it felt very different and actually very wrong. And he said, I wonder how long this can keep going. Flashback. Mm-hmm. I thought similar things as, how long can you have drug parties and people coming and uh, sex with underage minors and a lot of other stuff that was going on. And um, just thinking something bad could happen, and it did. Yeah. Did you or your your brother, to your knowledge, for that matter, um, buy into the the helter skelter theory was that did that seem plausible my brother after the event would never speak of it he went dark mm-hmm. and that's another story in and of itself he never mentioned it after when i brought it up maybe a couple of weeks or so after the murders you know these are people that shut down and I wasn't going to revisit that, and especially after my brother's problems in the 80s. Well, just I I have to ask, did any of those, when they actually arrested the people responsible, none of those people look familiar to you, or did they? I was on Sunset Boulevard a lot, like with a lot of kids. A lot of people look familiar, but you didn't mm-hmm. know him. You'd see him around. I don't. 
Watson, I know I saw. But the rest of them, you know, if you look at the pictures at the time, they look like so many young girls and guys that were hanging around Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood Boulevard. It was a very typical look. Yeah. And there were reports that Watson was had been at the Cielo house before. Is that, is that where you think you saw him? No. I think I saw him on sunset outside of the Sea Witch. And uh, he was with some people that I knew. And I'm, sh- I'm sure it was him. I've never said I'm absolutely sure, because how could I be absolutely sure? But uh, I'm as sure as I need to be for me. How how old were you at this point? Was it were you just in your twenties or? Right, I just had turned twenty by then. Wow, wow, yeah. that's an unbelievable environment for. <laughs> I, know. I think when I was nineteen or twenty, I I don't have that life experience. I I'm slowly because of friends and people that have known me getting some of the stories and. I I publish it through Downtown L.A. Life magazine. Some of these stories are coming out slowly. Um, I've wanted to wait until everybody was dead, but now I'm beginning to fear I'll be dead before I can get the stories out. So um, go to downtownlalife.com downtown l a life l i f e dot com there's stories of what was actually happening in Hollywood. My grandmother, for instance, was the stand in one of the stand ins for Jean Harlow um, wow. we've been in this business a real long time, and one of my favorite things to do was to go to my grandmother's in Hancock Park and go to her cedar chest and she had all of the big stars and we would go out to chases and that and I would meet people also. So it didn't start with my brother. Um, my brother didn't need any family help. He he knew how to get the help. Well, you gave me so much that I was looking for. I wanted to get a feeling, especially for Sharon and your brother and just the feeling of living in that time period, and, and, and you gave me all of that. So I thank you so much, sir. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. On the next episode of August 69... Right across the street is like nine members of the family with the swastikas carved in their foreheads. He was the last known visitor to Sharon Tate's Cielo Drive residence prior to the victims or the killers. His testimony during the Manson trial helped the prosecution establish a timeline that proved essential in achieving convictions. In his first ever interview about these events, we speak with Dennis Hurst, the bicycle delivery boy who entered the Cielo Drive property only hours before the murderers arrived. And a gentleman answered the door. I found out later it was Jay Sebring. While narrowly escaping his own potential threat from the killers. God, I remember that. It kind of haunts me. Tune in to the next episode of our August 69 series. Visit moviegeeksunited.net for more details.